Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to Still Watching Succession. It is a new season of the Vanity Fair podcast in which we talk about a different season of television with each season of our podcast. I'm Katie Rich. I am here with Richard Lawson. Hello. And joining us for this dive, this entire season for this dive into the depravity of the Roy family is uh, Sonia Soraya, our TV critic. Hello, Sonia. Hi. Uh, Sonia, it feels like you were just so excited to have these terrible, horrible Roy's back in your life <laughs> that you you had to join an entire podcast season about it. So we'll we'll dig into what that means for you psychologically. But um, we're so happy to have you. I love sad white people. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many of them to choose from in this show. <laughs> Um, so as I said, we we do a different season of television uh, every season of Still Watching. As you might have noticed, we're currently overlapping with Impeachment. So uh, we're here to talk about the, the episode one, season three premiere of Succession. Impeachment is still running. We will continue talking about both shows until Impeachment is over before we go full-blown Succession. So you'll continue to hear me and Richard talk about Impeachment. It's a busy time, uh, but we're, no, uh, we're not as stressed as Kendall Roy. So I guess we can uh, count our blessings. And as always, we would love for you to email us at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. I don't know if the theories around succession are going to live up to, you know, Loki or something like that. But I, I do think this show can surprise you because uh, you never know who's going to be the blood sacrifice, who's going to be who's going to betray who. So um, email us. Uh, let us know what is really grabbing you from the season. And we will um, we're recording this episode before anyone, I think, even knows that we're doing succession. So we don't have any emails yet, but uh, we look forward to receiving them from you. Uh, so before we dive into uh, episode one, which is Secession, it's been an entire pandemic since Succession was on the air. And I, for one, definitely had to remind myself what in the world happened in the previous season. I was like, there was a yacht and then Kendall betrayed Logan and Logan smiled. And I didn't really remember anything else. Where were you guys on your uh, season two knowledge before you jumped into this this season? I was kind of in the same boat. I was so, um, you know, the image of the kiss really is what 
I think that that was just the closer of the whole season for me. And that's like what I have in my mind when I look back at season two. Is, that's Kendall um, kissing Logan on the cheek. Yes. Of, right before he yeah. stabs him in the back. Yeah. I guess a kiss makes it sound so much more romantic and, and affectionate <laughs> than it actually is. Yeah. Um, yeah, that that moment um, is so is so Shakespearean, um, you know, such a it's like biblical. It's like a serious like traitor's kiss kind of I love you, but also I'm going to stab you in the back moment. And I think it, for me, it really just summed up uh, Kendall's whole journey throughout that season and this really deeply rooted um, parent child uh, dynamic that the show really brought us into. Um, and then, you know, uh, I, I, I th- this is not to, to walk over what Richard is about to say, but I, something I thought that was sort of smart about the, the way this episode starts is it's right after. It's literally just seconds after the, the <laughs> yeah. press conference. So you're right. You're just right back there. So in a sense, I didn't really I felt like I, I was actually caught up. I didn't feel like I had to remember much. Yeah, there wasn't like, um, you know, months passed. And so now we're on to season three's new adventure, you know, with a new big bad. Like, it's just, I think that really does help with continuity, obviously. Um, and yeah, I think that things I had sort of forgotten about um, beyond, you know, Kendall's big betrayal was that um, that Shiv and Tom had had this really kind of odd for the show, poignant conversation about their horrible marriage <laughs> and kind of decided to split up but kind of not really um and then of course there was uh the ever mounting sort of tension between roman and jerry sexually speaking romantically <laughs> i don't know what um and then of course willis play got terrible reviews the the one where oh. people were getting sand fleas <laughs> i haven't forgotten about sands that that has lingered with me long uh in our long pandemic of going without succession <laughs> And if I'm not mistaken, Richard, you wrote all of those terrible reviews. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I do a side gig where I write, where I write fake theater reviews for <laughs> fake plays. Well, actually, no, Connor Roy was paying you to write better <laughs> reviews. Yeah. That was definitely, I had forgotten that, like, I rewatched the season two finale and he, like, asks Logan, A, to lend him a $100 million and then B, to have, like, critics from their papers <laughs> write reviews of Sans that were better, which, I mean, honestly, the scheme of terrible things these guys have done, it's pretty low on the list. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Um, so, uh, you know, so, so Succession's coming back. It feels like there's an insane amount of hype around it. I think a lot of it justified. It is, uh, by many lights, the best show on TV. It feels like every cast member has had their own individual magazine cover at certain points. Uh, we're certainly happily be talking to some of them. Later in the episode, you'll hear from our colleague Joy Press talking to some of the cast. Um, do you guys feel like this episode premiering is is living up to the hype? Like, has all this excitement uh, maybe set us up for a season that's not going to happen? Or is it really stepping up there? I, I think so. I mean, I think I think it's fun that they recognize that they had, you know, and, and, you know, there's been a lot written about how they did a lot of this during COVID, which was uh, the, the filming, um, which was pretty difficult. And yet they still managed a sense of grandeur for the big series premiere with helicopters and private jets and all that. You know, yeah. it, it, it was a good like, um, you know, they were flexing a little bit about how much money they spent. Um, but yeah, I mean, because of that immediate, you know, picking up right where we left off, like, all the energy feels the same. The stakes feel the same, although they're kind of growing and shifting and, you know, 
um with even within this one episode um and we meet uh a, a new character you know uh played by Sonal Lathan so so it's both you know continuing what we liked but also expanding and and doing new things yeah yeah it feels the th- the, the hype thing is like it's so impossible um I think especially because it was it was pandemic times, um, the hype was just so, so much like we need this, we need succession. Um, And I admit that I'm really guilty of being, you know, really caught up in kind of the buzz around something and then faced with the actual product. I sometimes do feel a little bit of that letdown. Um, And I think partially because. I think there's something smart about again starting us right with that with right after that climactic uh, conference too because you do feel a little bit of a like oh like what just happened kind of sense and everyone sort of seems a little bit at loose ends but I think it um, I, I think it kind of worked um, I, I kind of. And then there was a moment where I was like, oh, like the show with all of these characters, like, remember the show? Like, what is this show? And then <laughs> and then Greg did something. Greg di- does and says so many things to Kendall in this episode that are so funny, like hysterically funny. Um, right at right at the beginning when he says he wants to knock down the door but he's not sure if he can <laughs> i'm like i was i had this moment of like right that this is why this show works so well is it it's giving me these really big stakes but then gives me also like the dumbest kind of humor along with it so that i'm or like the dumbest person really who is also mm-hmm. being funny and then so i'm kind of carried and so yeah i i felt i felt successfully hyped I know on previous seasons of the show, Richard, you and Joanna would do who won the episode. But now I wonder if, like, who was the dumbest person of the episode yeah, is, the, seriously. is the question to ask. Because, you know, Connor, we'll, we'll get to Connor, but, you know, he shows a little bit of wisdom here, knowing that he's just uh, being used to cool his heels in the Balkans. So maybe someone's uh, getting smarter. Maybe Connor's vaulting up the uh, the smartness rankings. Um, So I worked down this episode essentially into characters because I think a lot of these people, you know, basically everyone but Kendall and Greg spends a lot of the episode kind of cooling their heels together in an airport. Um, But you can kind of break it up into who uh, people who are like clumped together. And I wanted to start with Frank and Carl and Hugo, who are definitely the three people who when I started the screener, I was like, oh, God, okay, who is why why is Logan mad at Frank all the time? Like I had to really uh, remind myself. Um, But I I think uh, so Fisher Stevens is Hugo, whose uh, job title I had to look up. He's in communications. I think he might have the funniest running plot of just trying to figure out where all the planes are supposed to go. (laughs) Yeah, he he was really selling that that thing. Um, And he was so proud of like all the accommodations he worked out. And everyone else is so upset the whole time, like miserable, so miserable at him. Ugh, the poor guy. I know. Yeah, I liked um, so hard. Uh, Logan walking into the hotel in Sarajevo and being like, what? like and he didn't have to say anything. He just was kind of like, what is this? <laughs> like, yeah. And that hotel is so perfectly like very nice. Like yeah. any of us would walk in and be like, this is a nice hotel. You know, for Logan, he's like, this is bullshit. Right. Like, <laughs> right. I'm not staying here. Um, I also really enjoyed that. Um, I think it's Frank and Carl who like sort of give you a recap, uh, who sort of give us a recap of what their status is mm-hmm. very close to the beginning. They're like, well, we got fired, but then rehired. And it's kind of like they're just like the lackeys that are sort of there to be piled abuse upon. And that's mm-hmm. like the that's like the role they've played for a long time. Um, but then, of course, Kendall makes this phone call to Frank 
um, which is like super sneaky, very cool stuff. Um, one of the, one of the cooler things Kendall does in this episode, and uh, it's sort you know Frank's uh, Frank listens to this phone to Kendall speaking without saying anything himself, and Kendall's like really making an offer for Frank to like come you know come over to his team, and weirdly. Logan seems to have anticipated that and immediately is like, oh, and by the way, I don't trust you. And yeah. it's a little like it's a little maybe too transparent, the stakes like, you know, I think they're they're doing. Uh, I don't know if if people who are really trying to stab each other in the back would would be so explicit. But I kind of appreciate the show making the loyalties like really uh obvious because these are a bunch of interchangeable people in suits a lot of the time. And so it's sort mm-hmm. of helpful. <laughs> Yeah, and it's a reminder, you know, of the the backstory that I had to refresh myself on too, which is that Frank kind of joined Kendall in the no confidence boat in, se- in yes. season one. So like they have that story there, and like the fact that Logan has kept him around after all of that is kind of just to torment him about how he doesn't trust him. Like let right. us forget Boar on the floor. Right. Uh, Frank's been putting up with a lot there, and right. he 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 could be potentially a like a a, a useful scapegoat. You know, mm-hmm. it's like keep him keep keep him in a relatively high rank. If something goes wrong, offer him as the sacrifice, you know, because he doesn't really care about him anyway, you know. So it's that kind of tricky balancing act of, like, keep him close enough that he's publicly perceived as being, you know, a high up at the company, but far away enough that he can't, like, extract information he can use, uh, you know, out of Logan. Yeah. Uh, and they, they're central in this scene on the plane when they finally figure out where the plane is going, where, uh, Logan is basically saying, like, who's gonna be CEO? I'll step down to, like, you know, get rid of this and who will be CEO. And it's a funny, um, mirror image of the scene from the end of season two where they're all sitting on the boat is talking about who's gonna take the fall and they basically all volley back and forth and throw each other under the bus. Except this time, it's Carl being like, "Well, I like me," and Frank's like, "Well, if you need, if you need me, like, just like volunteer themselves." Uh, I really, I didn't, I love the synchronicity between those things. Yeah, I was really, I was, I really loved that because I found myself wondering what game they thought they were playing. Like, hmm. I, I, like just, just because, like, and I'm sure that I, I know that both Carl and Frank would be like thrilled to be the CEO, but I just feel like. Everything with Logan is like 3D chess and like, I mean, just like speaking to this guy's character is so crazy. Like he does not like and does not trust Frank. And so he's like, I'm going to spend every waking minute with you. It's such a weird decision to make. Like no human <laughs> being should do that. And yet here, here's this guy who like totally is always, uh, Logan's always playing, you know, the long game. And so... I al- it almost felt like another bore on the floor moment too, like to just have his these two kind of lackeys, like very high ranking lackeys, sort of like fight each other for for this thing that they really want, kind of for his amusement. And then weirdly, and I know we'll get to Tom more later, but then like I thought it was really interesting that in this moment, Tom, who's often been like a huge idiot, is like wisely silent. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> like is Tom really going to show some some intuition here? Very interesting stuff. Mm, okay, we'll we'll see. We'll see if Tom manages <laughs> to step up to that level. Um, well, let's uh, before we get to Tom, maybe we should just swing back over to Connor and Willa, uh, who Willa is still really really hurting from the reviews. And um, Richard, what do you think of Connor's plan to just uh, really promote those bad reviews and lure in the uh, hipsters and dipshits? Do you feel like the the hipsters and dipshits in your life would fall for that? I think that moment in the episode is one of a pair. The other being 
later on when um kendall is like i was thinking about hiring some bojack guys you know like punch <laughs> it's like oh my god these people are paying attention to the nuances in popular culture but don't fully understand them in in, in their sort of everyday like on the ground um use and also want to just bend them to their own like horrid whims you know like and, yeah. and so i think yes. that like yeah like Connor realizing that like, oh, like people like to laugh at something dumb, like cats or whatever. Um, I'm aware of that trend. I've come up with this kitschy name, the Ironocycle for it. Um <laughs> and so we can just do that as if you can force that with money and not as if it's not like an organic thing. So mm-hmm. I think it's just a good reflection of like how these people see the world as so commodifiable and purchasable and you know, tr- it's like all transactional. And um I mean maybe it'll work, but like I also don't think that it's really cost beneficial or like really makes any sense cost wise to have an ironically funny play considering how much play tickets cost (laughs) well and And sand how much sand costs to cover (laughs) i mean and i i think you could really see uh willa played by justine loop like really really hurt maybe or or definitely frustrated i mean i think that connor's sort of not seeing that willa's not going to feel better about the play if she says if he's like it's going to be a hate watch like how mm-hmm. would, how does that make your girlfriend your actress girlfriend like feel better about what's happening but but it very much is the roy sort of ethos of if you can make a profit on it it doesn't matter and um i think that's i i could definitely see some um i could definitely see some trouble in that relationship and we've already seen trouble in that relationship but um Holding down the Balkans is not <laughs> something that I imagine Willa was hoping for out of her like career, you know, her theatrical career. So yeah, I um uh I I'm looking forward to seeing that meltdown a little more. Yeah, yeah. Unlike you know a lot of these characters in this episode, we got a sense of where they're kind of headed for the season. I think you know especially Kendall. Um, but I don't really know what Connor and Willa are going to do next. Like, they're really mm. loose cannons in this whole storyline, which is kind of the role Connor has always played. And, like, it's, has he given up on his presidential ca- campaign? I don't know. So we oh, have God. to see what happens it, there. It, it's always been my contention that, in some ways, Connor is the best satire in the show. Like, this just, like, burnout rich kid who grow- turned into a rich adult who's never uh, really gotten anything right, but still feels that determined... Uh, conviction that like be- that because he's wealthy and from a powerful family that he therefore has a brilliant mind and knows what's right for people you know and and it's maybe an obvious satire but i think it's just like i think even in this episode where he's like yeah i'm plugged in i, I get it but like don't worry we'll just literally throw money at this and and it'll be we'll, we'll just completely rescue it from disaster because he's always just you know one failure onto the next failure onto the next failure but always doing it in this way where he's he talks about himself like he knows exactly what to do at all times and is you know mm-hmm. plugged in and it's just so embarrassing and i mm. think for willa to be like no i'm actually genuinely upset about the play <laughs> and realizing that he and no one else around her cares about the actual thing itself it's a it's about mm-hmm. success that can be or or failure that can be leveraged into future success i mean then the, another thing about connor's character and and how he fits in with the rest of the roy family in that moment um 
it he's waiting for someone to give him something to do, right? Mm-hmm. And he's he's waiting for Logan to recognize him. And I think Richard that really does speak to this like he feels that he is special in some way even though no one no one else is on that page with him. Um and interestingly, Logan is willing to uh humor him and gives him this sort of fake job in order to kind of protect his little ego. Um, I just thought that was really, it was kind of interesting. And maybe it's because Logan sort of feels Connor is ultimately not a threat to him and kind of can be given sort of an empty task. Um, but it definitely looked to me like Logan invented the task, hold down the Balkans, like 20 seconds before oh, yeah. in, he in said in that moment. Yeah. Two seconds, not even 20. It, it's very yeah, Ra- I, Ralph Wiggum sleep. That's where I'm a Viking, you know, like, just like, <laughs> I can do that, whatever that means, whatever holding down the Balkans means. Yeah, I wonder what, how extensive Waystar Royco's uh, investments in the Balkans are, like what there, what there is going on. Um, okay, let's move on to Roman and Jerry, who, uh, as we mentioned, uh, have their kind of moment in a hotel room where uh, the question of whether these two will ever actually sleep to, will sleep with each other. Like, unlike most will they or won't they, I think I truly don't know if they will ever actually do anything <laughs> about this. Um, but it's also a lot of the two of them with Shiv where they're kind of, uh, especially Roman and Shiv, kind of feeling each other out. And when they're in this airport in Croatia, like, basically, they're trying to talk to each other about what are we going to do and refusing to commit one way or another. Um, which I guess is to their benefit because they're both in the mix uh, with Jerry for the CEO thing for the bulk of this episode. Um, where, what do you guys feel about where we find Roman in this episode? Uh, I just want to say Roman and Jerry are my one true pairing. I will be, <laughs> I will be, sh- I will be shipping them for the rest of the season. Um, no, they're not really, but in a way that they are also. Um, I think like uh, to to okay, so so just everything about the way that they communicate with each other. And um, and even the way that they're sort of jockeying for the CEO job. So they're technically both up for the job. You know, that's like, you know, Logan starts naming names. Both of their names come up along with Shiv. And I think I thought it was really interesting how they did not experience rivalry um, with each other. I thought Roman that, and Jerry. Roman and Jerry. Yes. Yeah. Roman, Roman and Shiv. Definitely. But Roman yeah. and Jerry don't. And it's sort of similar to the way that Shiv and Tom don't seem to have rivalry with each other. So I just thought that was like an interesting way to sort of like put them into into these sort of groups. And and um I think that there's obviously sexual chemistry there, but clearly what really is motivating both of them is power, like a desire yeah. for being closer to the power. Like that's actually what kind of gets them sort of hot and heavy so it was really interesting watching them do these conversations that are kind of essentially their sort of foreplay um and i really i really liked that roman called logan and said i think like i think i'm ready but i think if you think i'm not ready you should have jerry do it even Mm -hmm. though that ultimately tanks him with logan which is like a little bit of more complicated 3d chess i can't fully understand but i um i kind of liked um i don't know i sort of liked his willingness to do it maybe i'm just saying that i like that they have this soft spot for each other and that's all Mm -hmm. yeah i would i do want to shout out the moment where uh uh you know so tom has called shiv on the plane to let her know that Logan is picking a new CEO. And then at the same time, I think Frank has texted Jerry and Jerry shared it with Roman. And she's basically like, why did you share that with uh, Roman? She's like, I'm a very straightforward person, Shiv. Which is <laughs> <laughs> <really> funny. <laughs> yeah. And, and I feel like this dynamic, I mean, in, in last season, you know, Roman trying to formalize this alliance with him and Jerry, you know, and the thinking is probably 
that, well, Jerry will be interim and then maybe my dad won't come back, you know, because it took the Walmart CEO of 10 years, you know, to come back or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And then I'll just take over for her. So there is something where I believe there is affection there. He's also completely using her or he thinks he does. But I think that Jerry maybe is one step ahead or to the side and sort of has her own strategy. I guess my big question when it comes to Jerry is like, given what she knows about the dynastic, uh, you know, dynamic of this family, why would she want that job? You know, because, yeah. you know, especially because it would, could be used to for scapegoating or as, you know, sort of just a figurehead who doesn't actually have any power. It just seems strange that like, she wouldn't see the benefit of being the vizier rather than the kind of very public king or queen. Yeah. Yeah, because that's what's gotten to her to that point where she is, where she's right. been kind of the power behind the power. I mean, maybe it's an ego thing, like the same with Frank and Carl, where it's like, where if you're given the chance, like, yes, I am the person who should run this company. And, you know, and it's hard a salary, for anyone to resist. A salary yeah, yeah. thing, too, maybe. Mm. You know, mm. she's making $5 million a year. She could be making fifteen. You know, I don't know. Poor thing. $5 yeah. million a year. I'm really low on that. <laughs> I was just going to say, it is true that she is kind of a dark horse. We don't know exactly what she wants. And I think that's one of the things that Roman is sort of trying to needle her with, too, to go to in that. uh, So in New York, they're in the hotel room together. And Roman makes this joke like, oh, there's a bed. We could finally, like, consummate our attraction. And she's, like, completely not interested. And (laughs) that was sort of funny because clearly she like, as you say, Richard, like, clearly she does want the CEO job, but I don't, I don't really know why. And and I guess in the midst of this episode where um, we see Logan not trusting a lot of people that are directly around him, the way he trusts Jerry really interested me, um, mm-hmm. where, like, he has, uh, Logan has her stay in, and then they make the list of all the company, all the countries that don't extradite to America <laughs> together. And it was just like, um... It was just interesting, like, Jerry's kind of, you know, scheming on the side here with Roman, but clearly her loyalties are very closely aligned to Logan, so I don't know what's going on. I I appreciated the aside when they were asking, well, does Jerry, is she compromised by this cruises thing or whatever? And they're like, no, I think she was in London at at that time doing all that regulatory stuff for us. And so it was just this fun little, like, glimpse into, like, you know, the spinoff Jerry exclamation mark about what she <laughs> what she's been doing in this company and like being in London, manipulating something having to do with regulatory stuff. That doesn't sound good. Like, I don't think she was doing good things. You know? Yeah, but it's not throwing people off right. cruise ships. So no, right. this is a standard working with here. Oh, geez. And, and side note, that whole conversation she has with the presidential advisor. Yes. What's her oh, name? Yeah. Lisa. Oh, my uh, God. What yeah. did a barnacle in a pantsuit? I think is what <laughs> the pantsuit barnacle is what uh, she calls her. Her name is Michelle Ann. I don't, oh, that's I'm, unc- I'm unclear if this is someone we've seen before. Uh, but we yeah, figure that out. That seemed that seemed new to me too. Um, and it, I really appreciated the dramatization of just the mechanics of that phone call and how, be- because I think, um, you know, I learned while during during the the Trump presidency that uh, he spent a lot of time on the phone with people, and there was a uh, people discovered that there was a way to like influence him by talking to him on the phone and so it was just kind of interesting to see oh here's this like huge company here's someone from this huge company kind of trying to put some pressure over the phone like what does that look like and what does that sound like um and then of course whatever administration this is is just not having it um yeah well and doing it in a van like on speakerphone in a van full of people that you work with like (laughs) and jerry like she really does as well as you can imagine that situation but i just i've definitely got hives watching that happen and and imagining trying to do that myself Mm -mm. 
Mm-mm. Like th- like every scary publicist I've ever talked to on the phone, like times ten. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I wanted to go back to Roman's phone call to Logan, too, later on, because he and Shiv both have these kind of earnest phone call moments. Like, she's talking to Tom and Roman's talking to Logan, where they're kind of, like, like exposing their necks. Like, saying, like, hey, here I am. I'm vulnerable. Here's what I want. And for Roman, it just totally backfires. Um, but I, I'm definitely a sucker for any of the moments where Rogan, where Rogan, Roman kind of puts down the bluster. It's just like, yeah, hey, this is this is what I want for my life. Yeah. I thought, I thought that the way that Logan... I thought that all of that was really interesting because it seems right before he picks up the phone that Logan's really interested in giving Roman this job. And mm-hmm. it's almost because Roman is a shark. You know, I think he kind of, um, he, he, I think he sees the, the sort of, um, potential energy in, in Roman and is kind of excited to like give him this chance or something. And maybe he even knows that like pitting, pitting Roman against Kendall would, would be, like um would would have a lot of conflict built in that he could use to his advantage. Mm. And then what what is it about the phone call? Is it is it just that I mean is it just that Roman wants a woman to do it instead or suggests a woman instead? I mean, I started making a list during the episode of all of the times that like, you know, grossly misogynist language is used by like and and it's always logan and roman who are using it because Hmm. this is like how you i mean not not exclusively but like when people say panties or pussy it's so often it's it's one of those two and i think roman is is trying to assert how like masculine and dominant he is to logan who obviously doesn't really need to prove it but continues to use that rhetoric to kind of i think just kind of broadcast his his value system where it's winning or nothing and it gender does not play any role in it um and we all know he's overcompensating knowing his kind of sexual uh difficulties yeah yeah of course yeah roman is yeah 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 yeah. so so it's uh yeah it, it it was kind of a remarkable shift for logan but i guess that's his character is just sort of inscrutable and fickle so i don't know (laughs) (laughs) what do you think richard well, I mean, we're talking about a character dynamic where the, a father says to his son, suck my dick. So, <laughs> right, 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 uh, right. Yeah, I, mean, I I don't know. I think that, that Logan hanging up the phone call with Roman and being like, he's out. Um, There was a part of me that was wondering if Logan was like, oh, the kid's playing a longer game. Let's mm. I want to see how he finishes it with Jerry. Mm. Mm. You know, um, he's like not in this round because like he has like bigger, you know, because I think there's a difference between being the interim CEO and the, you know, titular succession, you know, being a permanent new one. And maybe he realizes that's what Roman's after and their weird antagonism, which is always belied or sort of indicated a special affection. I think, um, Mm. I, I wonder, you know, if maybe that's part of it, but maybe I'm reading too much into it. Yeah. I like the idea of the long game coming in there. Uh, cause it is crazy to realize that like at some point someone probably will actually take over. (laughs) Yeah. It almost seems impossible at this point with this bag of loons. I mean, I if if they don't run the company into the ground first, yes, I yeah. Think. Um, open I, open question. You know, I and then I'm now that I'm thinking about it, I almost uh, I'm t- I'm my feeling about it was different from Richard, which is that I I feel like maybe because Roman seemed to be vulnerable or seemed to be sincere, even if he wasn't being, I almost feel like that was what turned Logan off, or or maybe mm-hmm. that was what I perceived as turning. 
Logan off that he was like, oh, I don't want to hear about your actual feelings. Yeah, my, that's, my, that's how I saw it. Right. My son, <laughs> who yeah. I love. Like, it, I forgot about the suck my dick moment, but it's so crazy that that's something that happened. And and yes, like, this is his literal child. And his literal child is saying, you know, I, I think I'm ready, like, and I'm excited to do this, but I think it should be this person first. And Logan's like, oh, no, we can't have real feelings. <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, the, that's how this works. That he ends the call with, I love you. It's like, ugh. Like, it just, it just sounds so <laughs> yeah. weird. Yeah. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go on to Tom and Shiv, who we've talked about a little bit. Um, I just want to linger first on their uh, their goodbye on the tarmac, where they are standing, you know, three feet apart. Nothing is keeping them <laughs> apart, but they blow kisses to each other from a distance. Uh, it's, it's, I just, uh, oh. it's a COVID protocol, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, was, pr- it was painful. <laughs> I was proud of Tom, though, for establishing some boundaries there, because, like, you know, he has stood up for himself in the previous season, and it's, like, clear that, like, she's going to be like, hey, but no, we're married and we're good. And he's like, um, we're going to... Not that I like trust him to have a spine forever, but I was proud of that little moment. So he he blows the kiss and she catches it and doesn't. Retur- I feel it right. I don't think she blew. Yeah, him. I think so. Yeah, yeah. 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 But she, she definitely says, she-, "I." She says, "I love you," and he's like, "Thank you," which is uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, really painful. <laughs> but then, right, like, like one or t- one scene later, they're back in cahoots. You know, yeah, like yes, they, right. in yeah. that way, they can't keep away from each other, and they're still, despite the fractures between them, um kind of clinging to each other as allies in this, you know, war. Uh, yeah. So it's interesting to watch Jerry and Roman kind of inch closer to each other and Tom and Shiv move further away from each other, but they're still clinging to one another because you need somebody, you know? Yeah. 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 And it's really helpful for Shiv that Tom doesn't want the CEO job. Like Tom doesn't want the thing that she wants. And so they can, she has room to be ambitious. And yeah, I think it, it's like weirdly supportive. I mean, you know, I spent like as as much as I like literally do not like anyone in this show. Um, but as much as I do not like uh the things that both of them have done, I thought Tom, you know, making the phone call in the bathroom to her and mm-hmm. and sort of like you know doing a quick kind of like what should we do? What is our kind of shared goal? Was like yeah. actually really sweet. Yeah, yeah. There's also that great acting moment where, like, he is on the phone with Shiv kind of plotting, and then Hugo knocks on the door, and he goes, watch your fuck face, and then immediately returns to his conversation. <laughs> I mean, the acting, like, this, having succession back was just this wonderful, like, acting treat for every single person, and um, that was one moment of many in the episode. Um, So then, so, so they get back, so then Shiv kind of knows the CEO thing is dangling, and she is put in charge of going to Lisa Arthur, um, Lisa who Arthur. is is made up as this kind of big deal litigator. Is, is there like a real life person who you guys compared her to? Are we supposed to clearly see her as a real world cognate? Uh, yes. I'm, uh, 
oh my god, I can't remember her name, but absolutely. Uh, I was who, thinking of Lisa Bloom. Is that who you're thinking it, of? That's it. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I couldn't who, remember her name. It was Lisa something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, she. I mean, she is someone who's like a really complicated real world figure because she advised Harvey Weinstein and then she also uh, represented women in sexual harassment cases. And it would definitely not surprise me if um, that happened with this fictional uh, Lisa as well. Um, but yeah, I, Richard, I you mentioned. Of, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. And go ahead. I kind of thought maybe like a a Gloria Allred, maybe like a hybrid of the two, because yeah. it, it, the indication I got was that like this was a person who would like you know made their bones and kind of like feminist work and so someone who has like some kind of um reputation there but then perhaps also like has a a corruptibility to them which i think is uh uh maybe more for the show but yeah that was i I definitely felt like i understood who that character was pretty quickly yeah she's saying she loves money and I like that that was rattled <laughs> off as like one of her three defining and best assets, you know, that, that's for that for the family. Of course, if, if you can if you can get someone in your pocket in that way, great, like all the better. Um, but I think the interesting thing about the scene between Shiv and Lisa at Lisa's office is. Is yes, on 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 the front face of it, like Kendall just got there first. That's all. That's all that happened. Mm-hmm. But I think it was also. Lisa eyeing Shiv and being like, I'm not just sitting here waiting for you to like come calling and ask for a favor or if not to represent the company to represent you. Like I, I'm not going to just be like brought on as your like legal bodyguard. You know, I mm-hmm. think that there was a power play there that obviously really frustrated Shiv. And I'll be really curious to see how that, if it, you know, if it does develop in this season, how that plays out because we then also could potentially do something that this show doesn't do often, which is bringing like questions of race. You know, I mean, obviously mm. the show is very much about like horrible rich white people, but like Lisa Arthur is black, and um, I don't know if that will be brought into bear in the dynamic, but like it it poses an intriguing possibility, I suppose. Yeah, it definitely has adds some weight to this, the part where she's like, I could use a consigliere, someone to help me. And Lisa's like, I'm that's not the kind of work that I do. Like you right. sense a little extra Ugh. force behind her words there. Uh, yeah, and, that's not what she does. And like, I was interested that they were like, quote unquote, friends before. And I found myself very curious about like what that friendship really was. But yeah, clear. Does Shiv have real friends? That's I know. Really unclear like, who, who, are they not related to her? Who are these people? But um, <laughs> I thought it was interesting uh, I I thought it was really illuminating that whatever feminist credentials Shiv may have had are no longer um, working. Like they're yeah. not she, whatever whatever um, power that she thought she could bring via being sort of like that girl boss energy for Waystar Royco. Um, th- it's 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 not working. It's not working on Lisa Arthur either because she's compromised by the corruption of the company, or she's not really in power because she's not really the CEO. It's still her dad. Um, or because of this terrible scandal. Um, but Shiv doesn't actually have that much going for her right now. And I think yeah. that was an interesting way to end the episode. You know this this meeting was supposed to be like her moment and then she's laying all her cards on the table and Lisa Arthur's just like I'm not very impressed. Mhm. Yeah, and there was a moment where Shiv said like um you know I could lose my not credibility but basically she implied that like her good name could be like drawn, you know, into mm. the muck yeah. by she this. She might have it, to leave to save her reputation. Right. And it was like um 
I think that might have already happened. <laughs> and, you know, I think a lot about like Ivanka Trump and how she still in the depths of the Trump administration kept trying to position herself as like this, like, you know, businesswoman, feminist, you know, like champion of the downtrodden. And it was like, what do you think? How do you what do you think public perception of you and your family is? <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. you're very wrong. And, I, you know, and I think that that might be sort of what that reckoning is happening to Shiv, but she doesn't even quite realize it yet. And so uh, it oh, is ahead. very it is very interesting that in the final moment, the final thing we see of Shiv is her like changing courses. And we yep. don't know exactly where she's going. But, you know, my guess is that she it would be interesting if she threw her lot in with Kendall. I think that would be yeah. that would be one of the more interesting things she's done. Um, but right now, but but up and up until now, she's been such a, a company woman, so to speak, that um I I was actually kind of I was kind of amused at how little she had to offer <laughs> in that moment. <laughs> um so before we get to Kendall, uh who is also driving around New York City in a car making plans in this episode, um just like check back in with Logan. We talked about him a lot. Um you know, it's hard to know what he was thinking on the phone with Roman. It does seem like he's very uh, actively enjoying playing with people in this whole CEO thing where he's like let a hundred flowers bloom and you're like, "No, that's not that's not how you work." Um, but he's also constantly being like, we're going to war with the government. We're not cooperating. It's full fucking beast mode. Um, but in the last shot of the episode is on Logan looking, I'd say, scared outside of that crappy hotel, right? The crappy by his standards. Let me be clear. I would love to stay in the Hotel Cleo. <laughs> Invite me anytime. Yeah. Yeah. Real fear. You know, that smile at the end of last season um, indicated like an enthusiasm to play the game and maybe even some like perverse pride in Kendall. Oh, yeah. Which which I sort of love and sort of, like, hate, because I'm like, please don't make this weird dynamic any weirder than it already is. But, you know, whatever sort of, um, whatever sort of, like, uh, kind of red meat enthusiasm he had at the beginning um, goes away. I think once he sees that he is, like, legally exposed, once Logan sees he's legally exposed, and hmm. the, the whole choice of going to company, uh, to countries that don't do extradition with the U.S., kind of puts them in, you know, either the third world or, like, the former Soviet Union or um, places where the, I don't know, I guess the standard of luxury that he's used to is just not as available. And I found myself wondering if it's really just the luxury that bothers him or if he, it's important to him to be, um, to have his good name. Like, I guess I, I'm not expecting in any outcome that Logan Roy is like actually going to go to jail. Like, I think they will try, they might try to, to do something like that if everything went well for Kendall. But like, obviously now he's, he's fled and, and he's not reachable by the US. But I, I sort of feel like it's not really being held. That's his, his problem. Like, he just wants to be able to do everything he wants to do. He wants to be the most entitled person in the world and or rather to be entitled to everything and so i think being being boxed in in some way uh really rankles in a way i wasn't anticipating there was something i don't know i'm I'm probably overreaching but like him standing under the roar of the planes that were flying over the hotel um and and then at the end looking kind of confused and almost as addled as he was post-stroke in the the first season Hmm. uh made me think about like king lear like wandering in a storm you know Mm. like like we're not exactly in that point of the succession story as lear is in that play but like this kind of thing where like 
the the he like that those small realizations he has from time to time throughout the show that like he's mortal that something is going to take him down and it's that he lives with this constant worry of what that thing might be you know mm-hmm. and in this episode he he has to show us some of that vulnerability you know trying to kind of casually be like no we're just gonna you know we're gonna go to sarajevo or to, to here or there saudi arabia maybe you know or whatever mm-hmm. countries he listed and it was just like that is a sh- sign of weakness in a way yeah mm-hmm. um, yeah. yeah and yeah. and um and then you know the surprise reactions of the the other guys on the plane when he says you know and of course i would like s- take a step back for a little while that you know that's also kind of like playing in a sort of passive more passive game um that then is kind of i think he's he's redoubled by the end sort of but he still has these fears and 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 i think that like um it will be interesting to see how those manifest do you guys think he actually will like will jerry ever actually get to be acting ceo or is logan gonna find a way to stay anyway Hmm. i kind of think he won't i think he i think he won't hand over the reins at least not in this arc of the story Oh, I, I, I can see Jerry being CEO for like a little while. I could see it happening. May, maybe, maybe while Logan doesn't feel safe coming back to the states. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but a CEO stripped of most power, maybe. Yeah. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That that does seem very true. Yeah. Yeah. Logan is king in exile, basically. Um, I was also interested in the. Well, I guess. You know, he's uh, Logan's given this option is like, do you want to cooperate with the government, which is what most reasonable people would do in this situation. And like, you know, um, use that process to kind of reduce your exposure, you know, set up whoever it is that's going to be your fall person. Or Mm. do you or do you do this thing that Roman, your extremely excitable child who wants to impress you, says, which is like, go to fucking war with with the government. And it's so bizarre. I don't know. I mean, I I do think like Brian Cox does a really good job of holding together the characterization of Logan because he is so unpredictable. He's like he can he can be so erratic sometimes, and it's it's weird. Like it's not weird that he wants to go to war with somebody. Like I'm I'm not surprised by not excuse me I'm not surprised by that. But he's so worried about about extradition and and his freedom that really going toe-to-toe with the government on this front doesn't seem like a smart idea or a good one yeah well i think we've saved them for last we may have saved the best for last and i am biased (laughs) because kendall roy is just my like one of my favorite characters of fiction that's ever existed um so kendall and greg are in new york uh the episode opens with kendall doing these like deep breathing exercises (laughs) in the bathtub um, which uh, Joanna Robinson, our friend, and uh, once once and always still watching Guiding Force, uh, was just by like, don't you feel like that's what the real Jeremy Strong does when he's like prepping on set? Because <laughs> Jeremy Strong seems like such an intense actor, and in all his interviews, he bears that out. Um, and then it's interesting, he busts out of the bathroom door, uh, Greg doesn't knock it down, and says, action stations, let's fucking go, which is exactly what Logan says um, like 10 minutes later in the episode. Um and then uh, he's trying to pull it all together. How do you guys feel about uh, Kendall's strategy here when he's in the car with uh, Greg and Jess and, and Roland calls? Oh, my God. Um, it's, <laughs> uh, there's so much there's so much to say. Um, I really thought I, I really love Jeremy Strong as a performer so much. You guys, he's so good in this show. I, I really loved the bathroom breathing scenes. And there's this one shot where he sinks under the lip of the bathtub. and um, 
I just felt like uh, I, I felt like it's so encapsulated the the feeling of 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 living your life, like doing the thing you want to do, and then on the other side of it being like, oh shit, like I just <laughs> I've just lived my life, like now it's now this is my life. Like I I thought he played with that really well, and like the deep fear that come that goes along with. I mean, you know, going going against his father is ob- obviously is something that he he needs to do for like his for for like being an adult human but the fear he has of doing it and like the conflict it creates for him i really think you know just right from the beginning jeremy is giving it to us um whenever anyone says action stations i just assume they've spent as much time watching battlestar galactica as i have um <laughs> so to me that's like what i took away from that moment but i um i agree that there's something a little disturbing about Kendall in this uh in this whole moment um because he's he's kind of being volatile right like he's like mm-hmm. doing doing this big thing then locks himself locks himself in the bathroom what a diva move and then is mm-hmm. like fine i'm going to come out of the bathroom and now i'm like ready to go we're going to have all these people in the car the car makes it 100 feet and then he kicks somebody out of oh, the car oh carolina for not being loyal enough which is an i mean I, I think he's probably correct to do so. I don't think she wants to be there. But I also think uh, it's just uh, it's just a little scattered. <laughs> it's like a little, yeah. he's a little unhinged at the moment. Can I can I quote Kendall directly where he says, uh, "This is a fork in your life, Carolina. This is the righteous vehicle." <laughs> and then as uh, as she waffles again, and Greg uh, like wonderfully waffles too, where she's asking him what he's doing. He goes, "I can't have weevils in the fucking flower sack." And uh, and then Greg says, "I'm just gonna catch a ride with these guys." <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Richard, how about you? <laughs> I, I think, you know, I was saying about how I think the satire of the Connor character is so good. I, I, I also love the satire that's emerging with Kendall in this episode um, where, you know, he has made m- many more moves, let's say, uh, more effectively than Connor has. Um, but he's still this kind of pampered rich kid flailing against his father's legacy blah 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 and this is the first time that he may have actually delivered a serious wound and he's obviously really energized by that and like giddy and like making oj jokes and all that oh my god but he's also like clearly terrified and i think that there's there's sort of a almost a mania that's emerging and i think that's really interesting uh in in terms of its look at like you know these little swaggering masters of the universe is the you know i hate to keep bringing it back to trump but like an you know a don jr kind of type who's like yeah i'm like i'm the heir apparent i'm i'm like tough blah blah, blah. i'm just i talk like my dad all this stuff but it's like all so predicated on a mountain of things that were just handed to him that he's never worked for and um so kendall trying to kind of wrestle some individual pride out of that is a little poignant I, you know his, his conversation with his ex-wife where he's just like basically wants to be like are you proud of me are you proud of me mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and she kind of won't quite give that to him and then right. it immediately shifts into okay how do i manage this new like identity that i have i'm gonna hire bojack guys to write my twitter i'm gonna hire these two women who seem to be like image consultants and i'm gonna talk over them the whole time you know mm-hmm. like he, he he takes this one sort of cynically but semi-decent thing and brave thing he did and it immediately just gets smothered in the weight of entitlement you know oh like delusions of grandeur yeah. like he can't it, it can't just be like a little thing he's done it has to be like it has to be like something that changes the world yeah yeah 
I it, I think of how much of last season. So first season, Kendall is kind of like swaggering top of the world, Kendall. And then last season was just kind of like broken, sad boy Kendall, where he's recovering from this terrible accident. He's kind of getting whipped around by Logan. And then he uh, builds back his uh, spine at the end of it. And like, I think swaggering Kendall is so funny. <laughs> like, And you have all that sympathy from sad Kendall from the previous season, which is part of why I love this character so much. But he's so ridiculous. Like when he says the juice is loose and when he's Ugh. like... The Bojack guys, the cool tweets, like, it's all so incredibly obnoxious. Like, at the very end of the episode, say, Naomi Pierce shows up, uh, and he has this interesting phone call with her earlier where he's kind of doing the same thing he does with Rava, where it's like, but, but like, you're proud of me, right? Like, am I just, am I the best? Um, and Rava blows up at Greg for opening this bottle of wine that's really precious, which I was saying to Richard before we started recording, I just relate so much to, like, hosting a party that you're just so ready to be gone. And you're just like, no, it's, it's good, guys. Just just do whatever you want. I'm going to go somewhere else. Um, but Kendall looks at Greg and he goes, all these brilliant fucking women, Greg, I must be doing something right. And it's like, oh, Kendall, no. Like, that is not no. what's happening in this room right now. He needs that approval so bad. Oh, poor baby. He keeps, I know, he keeps looking for it from all of these people when really he wants his dad's approval. It's the only person who can really give him that approval. Mm -hmm. Um, And I could see as much as I, and and this is how I know that this this show is going to break my heart, if it it already will, because I love Kendall so much because I, I feel so much compassion for what he has gone through and what he's going through now, but he is also so good at fucking it all up with mm-hmm. kind of a combination of narcissism and maybe like kind of getting ahead of himself. But you can, I mean, the first meeting he has uh, before Lisa Arthur with the other set of lawyers. Um, oh, no, those are the PR women. The, oh, those um, are the PR um, women. Okay. Yeah. The, Bar- so Barry a, Schneider. Barry such Schneider. a good PR name. <laughs> yeah, it's such a good PR name. Barry Schneider and the and the whole team. And the stuff that he starts saying, I mean, I think, I don't remember if that's where the BoJack tweets happens, but he. It, it, it is. It's, the BoJack it's guys. Right. So the BoJack guys um, and all of this stuff about how they're going to change the conversation and he like talks about like going on late night or something and it's like oh my god oh, he, said a, he said a tedx too oh ted right a TEDx, <laughs> right. TEDx. Yeah. and it's like what like how would how could this even be your brand like he's he's really not thinking very clearly anymore um and it it makes me sad because you know what shiv and roman are like giving uh giving logan as kind of like crisis talking points is like oh well kendall's a fuck up he's you know, mentally ill, he's out of his mind. And you're watching this and you're like, Kendall, don't be a fuck up. Don't be mentally ill. Don't mm-hmm. be out of your mind. But he he doesn't have actually the help he needs. And instead he's doing this and it's uh it's messy. It's already messy. The I think the wine, the whole uh the whole thing about the wine is kind of like, oh, like, did you think Kendall was going to start healing the relationships in his life? Because he's not. (laughs) That's not what's happening. What's happening is the mess is going to keep going. Like, he's continuing to take this mess forward, maybe in a different direction, but it's still mess. And the way he's setting it up is making himself this champion of women and, you know, a progressive light in the what's horribly, like, annihilating world of corporate media and, like, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. mega companies. Um is the downfall, which feels inevitable, will be that much more embarrassing and, like, shameful because he tried to, like, do something or at least co-opt the language of, like, a certain noble, you know, social justice kind of activism uh, for just so he could, like, I don't know, be take over a company. You know, I, I think that, like, he... And I think in that way, he's sort of neatly representative of anything as banal as you know 
some brand tweeting out happy pride with a rainbow you know box of crackers or whatever <laughs> and other more sinister things where the language of social justice is being co-opted and sort of monetized and commercialized and um you know i think that like at least in this episode what kendall's doing is a nice kind of metaphor for all of that um i was just going to go back to the juices loose because no, i do think it. that very it's actually very similar to to what um to what Richard was just saying, I think that the way that Kendall co-opts black culture is going to really bite him in the ass <laughs> rather than later. And I, well, because, you know, he has this whole like, uh, uh, hip hop kind of rap thing oh, that I haven't forgotten L to the yeah, That's... How, how could any, how could we, how could anyone forget? <laughs> so, and, and I, I do think, you know, and this is back to what Richard was saying too, with Sanaa, with playing um, Lisa Arthur. I just think that there is maybe an opportunity. I hope an opportunity for him to maybe see some of the, the pitfalls of, of kind of so, so easily um, identifying with, uh, with, with black people. But, but I think also it's just, everything just speaks back to the entitlement that he has he is he is like an abused child in there but he's also this super entitled rich guy at the same time yeah uh yeah i i would more count on someone pointing it out to kendall and him thinking he's gotten like he's like seen the error of his ways but not actually because i don't know i don't know if he's capable of that yeah. Um. Any any final thoughts before we? Uh, uh, this is going to be a supersized episode because obviously we're so excited for Succession to be back. So anything that we missed? Um. We love Greg. We stand Greg. We need Greg to tell us how dumb everything is all the time. Um. The the fact that Greg compares their car to the OJ car. Um. <laughs> is so funny too. No one is pursuing them. They're turning no. little corners in the financial district. They're just turning little corners. They're like, oh, we can't go into the Waystar Royco building. And Craig is like, this is just like OJ. Yep. Um, anyway, and then that's Kendall all I just... says, who says I haven't killed anyone? And Greg laughs, and you're like, what he did. <laughs> he did. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, how do we feel about a member of the Red Scare podcast being on Succession now? <laughs> Is that wait? Is that Dasha, who? She's one of the uh, one of the PR consultant people. Oh wow! I did not who, realize. Who Greg is kind of flirting with. Yeah, just sort of an interesting wow. uh, pop culture. Uh, you know, real life pop culture meeting succession. Just I don't know. <laughs> I feel like we're probably in for more of that. Like succession seems like the most uh, culturally plugged in uh, of all the shows that are on the air right now. Apparently, Z Way is going to show up later this season as herself. So. Um, we have a lot to look forward to. I'm reading that from the Wikipedia page, by the way. It's not a spoiler. I don't. I haven't seen it. So, hi, I'm Joy Press from Vanity Fair. Um, Brian and Ajay, I wanted to talk to you about um, the the season opener of uh, season three, which is uh, fantastic and kind of very much picks up where the finale of season two left off. Um, But obviously the season was delayed by the pandemic. There's no COVID in the Roy world, or at least not yet. Um, I don't think there'll ever be. I I wonder if Logan would have uh, ATN, you know, peddling uh, Vermectin and and all kinds of alternative uh, Therapies, if it were happening, I, that's up to the editorial of ATN. So you're not really up to me. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think they if they do it. It's it's their decision, and uh, I will stand by whatever decision they make. He doesn't like to cramp their style. 
No, no, no. I wouldn't. I wouldn't cramp their staff. I hold the tea in China. No, no. I mean, it's up to them. And uh, you know, th- there's elements of that that I have no interest in whatsoever. So I don't really give a fuck. But then there are <laughs> there are elements where I say, fine. So, but I, I employ people for that. So let them do it. Um, season three um, starts kind of literally up in the air, um, and uh, you know, kind of destination unknown. I think um, Carl describes it as um, full Baskin Robbins, 31 flavors of fuck. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) um, when, when asked about what Logan is thinking at that point, um, Jerry says he's talking about his mom a lot. Um, Do you, do you think when the season starts is, is Logan, is Logan afraid? Is he is he wobbling? As he would no, I, say? Think, I think he's shaken. There's no question he's shaken, if not stirred. I mean, it might be stirred as well, but he's certainly shaken. And I think, you know, it suddenly dawned on him. In a way, he's, you know, what's happened? He kind of knew what was going to happen. And it's kind of, it's isn't it ironic? I mean, isn't it funny that as soon as he says, you're not a killer to, to Kendall, Kendall goes out and kills him. You know, you go, I mean, it's so obvious. You go, you know. It's like it's like it's so childlike behavior, and in a way, that's partly what he's amused at, and partly he's amused at his goal. That whole minute, that what is it called? The, um, the Mona Lisa smile. But I, I, I think that he's just you know, he's prepared for anything really, and he just is in the state of preparo, that prepar- preparation. So he's shocked. He has to consider it. And what's in, it's very interesting you say this thing because it just suddenly occurred to me from the viewer's point of view, we never hear him talk about his mother. So it's, it's this interesting idea that he's talked about his mother to Jay, uh, who probably even knew his mother, you know, because she was probably around for some of that time. So in a way, it's, it's, it's quite interesting that, that all, all things are personal, but all happen off stage. We never see it. So, it, so, so much of what, Logan does is supposition, you know. I mean, he's just trying to get the job. He's just trying to get the the firm to work, you know. And he, you know, the, the family is not just the family. It's not just the kids. It's also Jay. It's also uh, Carl. It's also Frank, who he fires and rehires and fires and rehires and has done so for thirty odd years. And that's as much his family as anybody. And they understand that. They know that they're going to be going in one door and they're going to be coming back in another door. And that's what I think is the really very comforting part of the show. How, how would you describe um, the relationship between um, Logan and Jerry, Jay? Well, a bit like an old married couple. Um, I feel like they've worked together in in very close scrapes many times to good advantage over the years. And they are a kind of yin and yang uh, equation that works really well, works out very well for the company. Um, He is the inspired maverick and she's the careful um, person who dots the I's and crosses the T's and keeps everything tidy and in order. And I think they, um, I I sort of, I mean, I made up this backstory, which I've, we haven't really discussed, but that, I imagine that Jerry had a husband a little bit older than she was, or maybe, maybe significantly, I don't, I don't know, who might've been like um, the way Laird is with you in season two, like someone who was like a 
a colleague or a financial advisor or someone you played golf with that you liked. And so you hired me kind of, uh, you know, as a sort of, I, I was part of his legal team, maybe as a young woman, and that maybe we never quite had an affair because of the husband, and that by the time he passed away, that moment had passed. But maybe there was a flirtation or the, an attraction or that there's definitely a bond there that's like. I, I yeah. absolutely agree. I think that's so accurate. That's exactly what I felt. You know, okay. I mean, I felt that, the, the, you know, we go back a long way and there was some kind of relationship clearly. And also, I think the thing about Logan is the one person he really trusts is Jay, is Jerry. He, he really does trust her. I mean, he behaves appallingly to her and he's very, you know, he's very offhand and very presumptuous, presumptive with her. But I do think at the end of the day, um, he, he, he knows, you know, they, they, they've been through it together. So they know, you know, there's a sort of bond between them, as there is also with Carl and, and, and Frank, you know, but I think there's a much stronger bond with, with, with Jay. Much stronger. And it's 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 the one area where I think and he's you know, he never lets on. He never will. But it's the one area where he feels very secure is with Jay. I think there's been a precedent in the show where there there have been moments where he he knows he's I mean, not I want to speak for you, Brian, but it, it appears to me from from my character's point of view that, you know, it seems like you're surrounded by yes men and you're desperate to kind of get the temperature and that Jerry albeit I choose my words very carefully and I might be scared out of my wits, but that I'm can be relied on to give you an honest read. And that's worth everything. That is so accurate. That's, I couldn't, you know, there's no, nothing to be added to that. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. It is interesting though. Cause I mean, Jerry seemed like she was leaning toward, you know, Kendall's camp uh, at times in, in previous seasons. And, and this time around, she very much sticks with Logan. Is it safer for her to do that? Well, I think that Kendall seems to be a total loose cannon to Jerry. I just think, I think he seems doomed to me. And I think that say what you will, and no matter how exasperating Logan may be for Jerry at times, she kind of knows like his strengths are just exactly opposite of hers. Like she's not a, the same kind of risk taker. And, but she kind of like, like it doesn't make sense to me, but he's always right about this. So I'm going to, if it push comes to shove, I will always put my bottom dollar on him. And I know there was a point in season one when he, um, the awful Thanksgiving dinner where he, he's bad to the grandson. And I talked to, to Kendall kind of, surreptitiously on the balcony and say, I, I've seen all I need to see, like that vote of no confidence where I'm briefly on their team. But when push comes to shove, I just almost instinctively step back across the line, you know? Uh, so I, I just think that I, yeah, I think she's a real company man and that she's very devoted to Logan. And it's because he has something that he's more than the sum of his parts. He is something, he's some kind of business genius that she can't put her finger on and she trusts it. And then she sees a flicker of that in Roman that she hopes to, to uh, foster. That's, I I think that's really great. I think that's excellent. Really excellent. I I could see all that. That always makes sense. And I think also Roman is the, he's the, he's the loose and hidden cannon in the whole family. I think, 
You know, yeah. I, I really do think that because he's shown certain considerable things, particularly in dealing with the kidnap thing, which he dealt with and seeing through the fallacy of that money, you know, and Lear didn't get it and he got it. And, and of course, that's there. You know, that's there. You can't move that now because he's done that. How he reacts, and of course, we can't tell about how he, we can't go on about what happens, but there's a moment in the show which it gets very, and it's actually because of her, because of what he feels about, what Logan feels about her. You know, he, he's a bit rude about it, but it's about, you know, her, he protects her in a way. You know, he feels very, I mean, he's, you know, he's offhand in his usual way, but, that, you know, Jay is, Jerry is so important, you know, she's because she's, you know, the one thing Logan needs is constancy, you know, and it's such an inconstant world, and his children are totally inconstant. You know, in their in their attitude, but you know, but there is a, a level of constancy about about uh, about Jerry, which is very very reassuring to Logan. I think. Well, and you you mentioned Roman. I mean, he he did seem to start to come into his own in season two, um, and and the sort of Jerry Roman relationship was, um, I think, very. Uh, was was very exciting. I, I noticed um, HBO put out some promo photos um, of duos for season three, and and Jerry and Romans was definitely um, you know among the most popular, if not the most popular. Um, how much room is there for for um, improv in those scenes with you together, Jay? Quite a lot of room, I think. That I mean, the whole thing, the whole dynamic came out of an improv that wasn't used but was observed um and brian will agree i'm sure with this that um kieran is a kind of improv genius and he's also he's a genius and he's uh, also incredibly quick with lines so not only do they write him um what they call alternate lines to try and takes like pages of them that he learns quickly and is very facile with, but he also can just improv delightfully. And it's, it's true. It's, it's, it's true of his character. His character is improvisational as well. Like he's a, he, he doesn't, he doesn't check himself. He think he, but everything comes right out of his mouth. And um, so I think that that whole relationship is actually born out of Roman's improvisational nature and Karen's improvisational nature. Uh, and that the, that the writers got a kick out of that idea and, and ran with the ball. That's, that's yeah. right. You know, I think Jay's absolutely right. But the interesting thing about Roman is he had never improvised before. That's this right. show, he had never done it. I mean, he had never shown these talents. And for years, he clearly had these talents, but nobody's asked him of these talents. And of course, it was like a, an open field day for him because suddenly he was, he, these talents, which he was very nervous of. You cannot compliment, uh, by the way, Kieran. He doesn't oh, yeah. compliments. No, you must never compliment him. He, 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 he smack Chris if you compliment him. But that's what's interesting about him. That, and I, just to see him grow and to see how he's just expanded in the role. And, of course, in their relationship, it's just a wonderful, wonderful, funny and original thing. I mean, it's probably the most original thing in the show is that relationship. And I, 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 I think it's, 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 it's wonderful to watch Kieran just become the actor that he's he really is you know and he's going to be he's considerable he's absolutely considerable and I, I and I particularly I saw it last night watching episode one again and just some of the sh- shots of him he's he's got older he's got wiser and he's he's still doing the same things but he's more and more grounded actually 
And I, th- I just think he's, I, and I think that that's been liberated by these scenes, actually. And, you know, Brian, I think uh, that you and Kieran have the same thing in common, which is very, which I prize a lot, which is rare, which is they're both very um, released and free as actors. Like they don't check themselves. They're, they're in command, their whole instrument. And I'm not saying that to butter him up, but like, it's really true. Like, uh, I think the whole cast is very skillful, but these two are like, have a sort of freedom and ease where they can have a spontaneity in a moment that's just takes your breath away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think he's kind of takes after the old man in that way. He's very much his father, son in that way. Yeah. 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 I love that. Um, I was thinking that, um, you know, the, the show has these amazing group scenes um, and, and there's one certainly in the, uh, you know, I mean, in the opening episode of this season, you, you know, you're all there, in, you know, the airport and, and uh, there, I don't know how choreographed it is, but it, it feels like those scenes kind of give everybody an amazing chance to, to spread out and have some fun. Is that right? Are they, are they tightly choreographed? That's down to my lot. I mean, he's the best mover of a, you know, he knows where everybody should be. He's just intuitive. I mean, he's just intuitive about where people are and, and, and you're always in the right spot with my life. You're always in the right spot. He, he's a master. You know, he's sometimes a pain in the ass, but he's a master. <laughs> and there, there is this leitmotif to the show, which is there's, there's Logan Roy and then there's this ship of fools. There's like this motley crew running around, <laughs> not knowing what the fuck is going on and, you know, bumping into each other and just that we see that circus every episode in some, some combination several times. And it's one of the joys of the show. It's this dynamic, yeah. right? And it's yeah, very absolutely. Jesse Armstrong-ish. It's very, uh, it's thing he, Jesse. Loop and, yeah, it's very Jesse. It's genius. You know, it's absolutely his genius. It's how he does that and puts that together. And, and of course, Mark is, is so good at getting photographing that and really getting that, you know, I mean, he, he does this thing called the freebie, which drives me nuts because I always think it's a freebie. You know, I mean, I, I, I always want that. Like that <laughs> but he goes, now it's a freebie. And you go, okay, fine. I've done my freebie. I just want to get on. <laughs> so the freebie is when you just get to just go and do whatever you want. Yeah. So the, the first scene I ever shot, uh, for the show in episode two of season one. Um, we did the scene and then I don't think he coined the phrase freebie quite yet. Cause it was very early on. And he said, um, okay, this time just mess it up. And I was like, he's like, just say, don't just put it in your own words a bit. So it's messy by design. And it, it's sometimes people who aren't as free as Kieran and, and um, Brian find you know, unexpected things happen, bubble up yeah. from the freebie. But yeah. right. you don't need them as much as. Yeah, that's right. He, he, he sort of introduced that. And it, it's kind of liberating, you know. I mean, that's, yeah. and it's great to see the cast liberated. You know, I love it, you know, from my perspective, just watching everybody, you know. I mean, it just, and they're all so wonderful, you know. I mean, I was watching uh, Rasha last night. I thought it was so funny. It's a wonderful. Fantastic. Really just there, you know. And, and, oh it's, and it's such a presence. I mean, it's it's such a great cast. I mean, it really is. You couldn't be, and I couldn't think of better actors to be working with on, on a show than this. This really. 
Yeah, it's interesting how many uh, how many of the actors uh, have have stage experience, which isn't necessarily usually true in television. Well, I, I mean, I'm, I watched a TV thing on, I don't know what it was. It was on NBC. I, it was on in the background. I kid them, and I just thought these young actors, they need help. They need help and clarity, clarity of purpose, clarity of thought, clarity of speech. Now, our show is all very, you know, there's an improvising feel about it, but there's always clarity. And there's always clarity from the actors because they are, they are real, real actors. You know, they know the job. They've worked in the theatre, they've worked in television, they've worked in film. They know they've run the gamut. And that's what I think is so missing nowadays is the, the, for instance, I think that the theater experience is so underestimated for young actors because they think it's all about being on the camera and being on the camera and, and, and somehow some kind of osmosis happens. And it doesn't. There's a skill to do it. There's always a skill involved. And that's what I love about watching my colleagues is to see their skill. I mean, this woman's skill is phenomenal. You know, and to watch her work is just great. You know, I mean, I just, I just love her because she's, she's so who she is. And she's so who she is as that character. You know, it's not necessarily who Jay is as Jerry, but there is a sort of a, a completeness about her. And I think that's a... That's something that's missing a lot. And I do think that's what we do because, you know, if you add up our average age of the older people, we, 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 get, we get quite up there, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it, it's a great, it's a, I, I, I think it's a great, it's just a great joy to be with in that way. And, and you, you just feel, and you feel safe. You just feel safe. You walk into the room and you know there's not some stupid kind of either gaga old actor or some kind of, you know, neurotic kid who's going to kind of, you know, I mean, we have our moments with certain people, but on the whole, you know, it's, 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 it's wonderful. Well, it allows the show to get very subtle. I mean, yeah. it allows you to really, you can have those funny, you know, lines, and then you can also have these amazing sort of moments of just seeing, seeing a whole you know, scene go, go over somebody's face. Yeah. I was going to say about the theater question, um, you know, in a lot of television show, it's almost the opposite of theater. Like in theater, there's a beginning, middle and an end, and there's very high stakes. And our, each episode is a little like a separate play with a beginning, middle and end and terribly high stakes. And so theater actors do have this like commitment to roll up their sleeves and go for the, you know, go for broke. And I think that all, really all of us that I know of have theater training. I don't know of any actors that are not theater actors on our show. And, 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 that's the, young, and the younger ones as well. I mean, yeah. uh, I think Kieran's about, well, no, Kieran, Kieran's done his. Kieran uh, has paid lots of Of course he did. Yeah, yeah. certainly. Obviously, uh, they're, the, the, the Roy family in, in this season is continuing to be in some, uh, some peril. Um, the company uh, is also kind of under investigation. I know that uh, Jerry kind of is trying to sway the White House um, and, uh, you know, maybe lean on the DOJ. Um, what, what kind of ethics does Jerry have? Is that, is that a word that's in her vocabulary? Are there lines that she won't cross? Yeah. Oh, well, I think she has a lawyer's ethics, you know, like uh, if I can argue it, it's ethical, you know, like that there's an, uh, I feel too, that she, um, she knows the government is that way too, even though they're supposed to be, 
you know, run by laws, we can see that a lot of times uh, they feel above the law, our politicians, and this show kind of exposes that. So I think she knows exactly who she's talking to. And I also feel a little bit like I'm sent it on a bit of a doomed mission, but I'm just, uh, I'm like, I feel like Jerry's often with Logan, like, play me, coach. I'll, I'll give it a try. You know, right. and I, so I kind of, right. I kind of, uh, I'm left looking. I don't, you know, I don't get any wood on the ball in that with, with Michelle Ann, but there's this feeling of like, sure, I'll give it a go. I'll give it a shot. I, I think right. that's really important. I, I think Jerry's absolutely right. And, and, you know, Jerry is the ethical face of Waystar Royco. She really is. You can't, have, you know, and that's what Logan understands is that people believe Jerry. When she talks, they believe her. You know, you would not necessarily feel the same about Carl. You certainly wouldn't necessarily feel the same about Frank. But you also, you always feel that about. And that's why I think she's the ethical face. Is, is that you, you believe her. Even if she's lying, you believe her, you know. I mean, and she never lies. She just slightly obfuscates. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's all relative after all, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, I don't know um, how, how much Logan has thought about um, using uh, Kendall's uh, accident, shall we say, um, in, in the previous season. I mean, Kendall, you know, he's cleaned up for Kendall. It's interesting to me that he, um, that he doesn't use that against him when it's all at war. I, because I do think he has, uh, uh, I think that, wrong, that deep down, he also has, uh, 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 he has, he has ethics deep down. He doesn't live by them and he, and he, and he feels them an encumbrance. But when it comes to the tragedy that happened with the boy, uh, but also he knows it's something useful to hold over his son. So in a way, there's a double-edged thing there. But at the same time, he's not going to be using it. You know, you know I don't think he'll be using it because in a way, he knows, he knows, he understands how fragile his son is, but he's still deeply irritated. And, 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 and the sense of betrayal is, you know, it's beyond reason. But I do think at the end of the day, there is, he has an ethical thought about that, really. There is a sort of... And also, Brian, correct me if I'm wrong, but people are always asking you, does Logan love his children? And right. I absolutely concur with you that absolutely, passionately does love them. Also, the... also sees them with a cold and yeah. a, objective eye knows what their limitations are. But I think he really, really loves Kendall. There's no question about it. He does love his children, and that's what makes it doubly hard for him because he, do he doesn't express that love. He's never been expressive because he's never had that love. Actually, the truth of the matter is he's never had that love expressed to him. You know, when you don't have love expressed to you, it's, you, can't, you don't know how to express love to others. You know, and he's, he's suffered from... Um, a lack of that, you know, there's a, there's a sort of, uh, yeah, there's a sort of, that has been present a lot in his life. I mean, I think he had it when he was a child very briefly, but he, he, he lost it. And, uh, and I think that's why he does, the kids are very important, which means why they're doubly disappointing. Because he keeps hoping. I mean, if you think about it, everybody goes on about what a horrible man he is and everything. And I go, well, actually, if you look at it, he's not, 
he, all he's done is to, I mean, he, all he's done is to want a successor and he's wanted it from his own family. And he's been, he's done his desperate thing best to get that. And with Sarah, you know, and she can't keep her gob shut, you know, I mean, Shiv, not Sarah, Shiv, you know, in, uh, in the Pierce household when she's just, you know, if she could just shut the fuck up, you know, it would have all been okay. But no, she always opens her mouth and puts a big foot in it, you know. And that's that's her problem. That's the difficulty. And he can't, he's learned, and, and of course, that's become untrustworthy. So in a way, you know, there is, if, you, if you look at it very carefully, you know, he's, of course, he's vile, he's horrible, he has all this bombast about him. But there's, there's another agenda going on, you know. Just there's a tightrope that he's also walking. I can tell you have a lot of affection for your characters. I think we do. I, 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 and, I, and I don't think that we, we you know, I, I, I think it's necessary to, you know, because they're complicated. You know, I mean, we have our, you know, there's no question that it, every character has their demons. And I'm sure Jay feels the same. But at the same time, we, we, we love their humanity. They're incredibly human, human beings. They are full of the flaws and full of all, all of that. And, that's, and, of course, that goes to Jesse and the team. That really goes back to Jesse and the team. And, you know, as, as, as Jay rightly said, you, 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 they did that first improvisation. And they go with it. They pick it up and they say, ah, oh, yes, we can take that forward. You know, I offer them stuff and they say, fuck off. <laughs> They take everything they think of, but they—they're—it's a little bit like a National Geographic special, and they're watching the animals, <laughs> and they can use some some impulses, right? <laughs> that's right. They're, they're, that's a very good analogy. We are like animals on a National Geographic special. <laughs> Brian, you—you you told me um, like a year and a half ago that uh, that you were at a Me Too lunch and that women were um, asking you to. Um, uh, videotape you saying, telling them to fuck off. Yes. <laughs> do you, do you still, do you still get uh, accosted on the street and, and uh, asked to insult people? Uh, all the time. You know, it's happening all the time. And I'm almost making a living out of it. You know, I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. I mean, it, it's kind of weird, you know, that people come and say, could you, you know, like I, I remember it started when I was doing, the Great Society at Lincoln Center. And I would come out and there'd be kids and a young boyfriend. I mean, a sort of 17-year-old girl and a 17-year-old boyfriend would be there and the whole of them would say, can you tell us to fuck off, please? And I'm going, and I just go, fuck off. You know? And of course you can mean it. They, 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 they don't know, you know. You could actually really be telling them to fuck off, but they're happy. Oh, he's told us to fuck off. You know? <laughs> it was like that story that uh, Roman told the other night about the old lady, you know, when, when he told her to fuck off. And she said, that's right, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so odd. It's such an odd thing. And, of course, it has affected me. My own language is, det- I mean, I, you know, I used to swear a bit, but I've, re- I've really now, I can't see the join between me and his, my evil twin <laughs> language. Well, that's, that's it for this week's episode. Um, Richard and Sonia, you guys will be taking the reins from here on out. So uh, people will hear you guys next week. I will be happily listening and watching along. Um, Richard, where can people find you in the meantime? 
Well, I have been asked to hold down the Rockies by my family. I don't really know <laughs> what that means exactly. So I don't know. I just I have to go to like Colorado or something. Um, while I do that uh, vague task, I will be tweeting at Rylas and writing things at VF.com. And Sonia, how about you? And you can find me hopping on that Irono cycle at VF.com and on social media. It's the handles my name, Sonia Soraya. And I will be busy uh, trying to cancel my mom's credit card because she's panicking about the company and buying a bunch of foreign currency. Uh, <laughs> but in the meantime, I uh, will be at VanityFair.com on the Little Goldman podcast and tweeting at Katie Rich. Thanks, as always, for our editor and producer, Dave Gonzalez. I'm Nomi Fry, and this week on Critics at Large, we're talking about the delights and shortcomings of the new movie Challengers. It starred Zendaya at the center of a tennis triangle and a very steamy love triangle. Who are her loyalties to? Will she be tempted by the other one? How do these guys reckon their professional playing ambition with the romantic and sexual feelings about this mysterious woman? And such we have it. We have a conflict between three people in a game meant for two. Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? Find out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts.